Well, guys, we are coming to the end of our series uh, on doubt in the storm, where we have been talking about suffering and talking about, you know, hanging on for dear life when it seems that God doesn't even care. And next week is going to be our last week. And I was thinking as we were winding the series down, I was kind of wondering, like, what are we going to talk about? And I really thought it was necessary to address an important part of suffering that, whether we like to admit or not, we all wonder about it. And we, we really asked the question, what is the outcome of suffering? What is the point? And so we're going to be looking at that today, and hopefully it will encourage us, because I don't know about you, but it's just nice to know that our suffering isn't in vain. It isn't just for nothing. That somehow our suffering means something. It has to. Because if it, if it didn't, man, we can be feeling just pretty hopeless, left you know, just to hopeless despair. So we're going to look at that today. So if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 5. That's the passage we're going to be looking at. Romans chapter 5, and starting in verse 1. And I'm just going to read through the first four verses there. You can follow along either in your Bible or on the screen behind me. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Okay, I've got a long sermon today, and so I'm going to be speaking fast to fit everything in, and we could literally do a series on this passage itself, um, but I have to fit it into one sermon, so fasten your seatbelts and, and hang on. But let's look at those first three verses there, first two verses actually. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace that we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Guys, this is such a rich and beautiful passage. I wish we had the time just to sit and kind of marinate in it and soak it up because it is huge. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to kind of rush through it to get to the part that I do want to focus on today. But in saying that, let me just say this, unless we grasp this first part, we won't be able to grasp the second part. So we need to understand this. We need to grab hold of it. And so you need to make sure you get verse 1 and 2. So let's just quickly talk about that. Therefore, since you, we have been justified through faith. Guys, we have been justified. We've been declared righteous through our belief in God, our unseen God, and His unseen reality, His unseen activity. We've been declared righteous, which means now that we are at peace with God. We're no longer enemies. We now belong to Him. We're His sons and His daughters. We're at peace with Him. Okay? Not only that, we've been we have been given access by faith into this grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is power, God's power, working in us to accomplish what we could never do on our own. And because of what Jesus did on the cross to take that legal hold that Satan had over us because of the penalty of death of our sin, by him taking that away, we now have been placed into this grace, neck deep in God's power, available to us to do this life. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice because we know that one day we're going to see God in all of His glory. And not only that, we're going to shine forth that glory because of what Jesus has done for us. Now all this can be summed up in some main points, and I want to just hit that real quick. 
Here, here's the points I want you to see. God is for you. Okay? He's for you. He's not against you. You are his son and daughter. You belong to him. Now think about that for a second. You belong to him. Think of how much worth that gives you. You stand in God's grace. Think of how amazing that is. Let those things sink in. God is for you. Celebrate that. Rejoice in those truths. Because like I said, we really cannot move forward into this passage until we apprehend this truth right here. We cannot understand today's teachings without knowing or having this interactive relationship with these truths on the screen behind me. So make sure you get it. In fact, right now, I know this may seem weird, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I, would, I think it would be best if we would grab each other by the face and say this, but I know that would be weird in church. So I just want you to turn to the person to your left, and I want you to say, God is for you. Go ahead and say it right now. <laughs> now turn to the person on your right, and I want you to say it. Now, I didn't really think this through because as you're turning, the person's talking to the back of your head, so I'm going to have to clean that up for third service. But Here, let's try this. Why don't you repeat after me out loud, okay? God is for me. I have peace with God. And I stand in His grace. Amen? You didn't have to repeat that, but that was just... Make sure we get that. Because when you start to believe that, guys, listen to me, your perspective changes on everything. On everything. And we can finally get to verse 3, which says this, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering. Now, am I the only one in the room who thinks that's just plain weird? We rejoice in our sufferings. What in the world does that mean? I mean, those two words shouldn't even be in the same sentence, really. Rejoice and suffering are for almost two different times of life. You, you, you can't put those things together. It's kind of like an oxymoron. And we know what an oxymoron? It's like two contradictory words that put together, they mean something like jumbo shrimp. That, that's an oxymoron. Or icy hot. Or uh, what's, another, what's another one? Act natural. It's a tough one. Uh, government efficiency. It's kind of an oxymoron. Here's one. Men's retreat. It's an oxymoron. That doesn't have its men's advance. But do you see what I mean? Rejoice in our suffering doesn't make any sense. I mean, it would make more sense if the Apostle Paul were to write something like, not only so, but we can endure our suffering patiently. Or we can gut it out day by day. Not only so, but we can try harder to be faithful. You see, those kind of make sense. Not, we also rejoice in our suffering. That just doesn't connect with us. That doesn't make sense to us. And you want to know why? You want to know why that statement is hard for us to get our heads around? Here's why. Because the minute that we start to suffer, the minute things start to heat up around us, the instant that things start crumbling in our life and we start to suffer, guess what the first thought on our mind is? Uh-oh, I think I ticked God off. He must be mad at me. 
I, I must have screwed up big time because now he's out to get me. And we suddenly start to think that God is flat out against us. And by living in this world and, and hearing the lies of the enemy over and over spoken to us, we have been ingrained in our thinking to think that if everything is good in our life, then God must be for us. And everything is bad in our life, then God must be against us. And so many times people will come up to me and I'll ask them, how are they do, doing? And, you know, some people say, oh, Luke, God is so good. I mean, he has just been blessing us beyond belief. My job is going well. My family is healthy. Things are just fantastic. God is so good. And that's great and all, but guess what people say to me when things aren't going well? They'll come up to me and say, Luke, I don't know what it is, but I just feel so distant from God. I feel like he's out to get me. I lost my job three months ago, and I can't find another one. We're about to lose the house. My wife has been struggling with illness, and it's just, it just stinks. And, and God doesn't seem to answer any of my prayers, and it's like he, he doesn't care. And I feel like he's mad at me, and I, I see him being good to so many other people, but he's not being good to me. He's ignoring me. Isn't that interesting? Let me ask you a question, second service. To which person has God been good to? The one whose job is going well or the one who lost his job? To which one? Exactly. Both. And why can we say that? Because of verse 1 and 2. That's why. Because God is for us. He's not against us. It doesn't matter what circumstance you're facing in your life today, suffering or extreme blessing, God is still good and He is still for you. He's not against you. In second service, you must cling to that. And so that's why Paul says, not only so, but we rejoice in our suffering. I love that. It's Paul's way of saying, listen, and if that isn't enough, verse 1 and 2, as if receiving justification and us being given the righteousness of God and having peace with God and us being able to stand immersed in His grace, as if that isn't enough, we can also rejoice in our suffering. We can rejoice in our anguish. We can rejoice in our tribulations, our burdens, our troubles. We can rejoice in them. And you know, I, I like that word rejoice, but when you look at that, that word in the Greek. By the way, does anybody's Bible have a different word for rejoice? Anybody? No? Because the Greek word there literally means to boast, to, to flaunt. We can boast in our sufferings. We can, in a sense, flaunt our sufferings. It's kind of like how men, you know, I don't know, this weird phenomenon among men, we always want to one-up each other in our stories. You ever notice that? We always want to have the best story. And it's like, you know, one guy will be like, dude, the other day I was driving to work and right in front of me, this car goes veering off and like crashes in the ditch. Right in front of me, I saw the whole thing. Another guy will hop, pipe in right there and go, dude, that's nothing. The other day I'm going to work and two cars banged each other in the middle and they both ended up in the ditch right in front of me. I mean, I was like inches away. And invariably, there will be another man go, dude, you think that's big? Trust me, the other day I'm going to work and this semi comes across the medium, runs over a Volkswagen, smashes into a gas truck, it explodes, sends 20 cars flying, and I saw the whole thing. And it's weird because like at that point, all the men in the group go, 
In our minds, we just go, all right, man, you win. You win. You got the best story. You win. We just kind of, you know, let him have it. And it's a little bit like that. You see, Paul is telling us that we can literally boast about our sufferings. In a way, we can brag about them. Now, why in the world would we do that? Because here's the deal. The suffering in our life isn't about God being against us. It's more about God being for us. God can and will use this suffering in our lives to do fantastic things. And we can literally boast about it. It's like my boys. When my boys were in youth football, they had two different coaches. One was in a younger grade, one was in an older grade. And we would get in the car after practice, and as we're driving home, my younger son would be like, dude, my coach today, he made us run a mile And then we had to do sprints back and forth, and we did up and downs for like 20 minutes. And he's like bragging about his, how much he had to do. Then my oldest son would be like, seriously? Dude, that's nothing. That is nothing. Our coach made us run two miles. We had to do sprints for like 20 minutes. Then we did the suicide run, and then we did up and downs, and then we did 200 push-ups. And they'd be going back and forth. Now, why would they brag about their suffering? Because they knew that their coach was for them. They knew that their coach was inflicting this upon them in a way to make them better. And so they could literally brag about it. They tried to outdo each other in that regard. And I kind of feel like Paul does this in 2 Corinthians 11. Let me show you. This is Paul writing. He goes, What anyone else dares to boast about, and I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? And so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Man, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And at that point, all the men in the group go, okay, Paul, you win. You win. There's no way I can tell that good of a story. Now, why in the world could Paul do this? Because he knew God was for him. In all these trials, God wasn't against him. God was for him. And we can never get this far unless we first understand that God is for us. We will never be able to rejoice or brag about our sufferings unless we first grasp verse 1 and 2. But when we do, we can move forward. And then Paul goes on to explain why we can rejoice in our suffering. We know God is for us, but why can we rejoice in our suffering? Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces what? 
perseverance. Tell me, Whitestone, what produces perseverance? I'm going to ask you again. What produces perseverance? I'm going to say one more time, and I want you to answer out loud. What produces perseverance? Exactly. Suffering produces perseverance. Therefore, listen to me now, if we want to experience perseverance in our life, what do we need to go through? Exactly. Times of suffering. If you want to be men and women of perseverance, you need to be willing to go through times of suffering. Do we agree on that? Then tell me why. Why is it that the minute we start to suffer, do we try to find a way to get out of it? I mean, instantly we're asking for prayer that God would take this suffering from us, that God would rescue us, that God would step in and get us out. Instantly we're trying to work out things in such a way that we could get out of this time of suffering that we're in. God, get me a job. God, fix my wife. She's crazy. God, get rid of this coworker. I can't stand him. And on and on it goes. And if we can't get out, we sulk and we complain and we self-medicate and we try to numb ourselves with anything and everything to get out of the pain. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. By doing so, the outcome of suffering is lost. We miss out on the outcome of perseverance. And Whitestone, we cannot do that. We must welcome suffering into our lives and see it as a good and profitable thing. And we must allow it to do its work of perseverance. And why is that? Because perseverance produces what? Character. You know, unfortunately, there aren't many Christians with great character. You want to know why? Because they don't persevere. They don't endure through their suffering. They instantly want to quit. And I'll raise my hand on this. I'm one of them. Trust me, I want out of my suffering. I have realized in this storm that I'm in, what a wimp I am. Once a trial or suffering starts, I instantly want to get out of it. <clears throat> and I know I'm not alone in that. So many people are like me. We instantly think that God is against us. And it's not long before we, we turn on God like I did this summer. And we get mad at Him. And we basically just want to give up. We want to run the things that numb the pain. And we tend to ignore God. And in doing so, the work of perseverance is short-circuited and if perseverance is short-circuited, then so is our character. And so the result is, is that we have churches full of Christians who lack character. Now, Whitestone, don't get me wrong. I, I am not trying to belittle your suffering. I'm not up here trying to give you a suck-it-up speech. I'm not trying to say, come on, you bunch of pansies, you just need to persevere. Stop your complaining. No, I, I, I know that what you're going through is tough. It's incredibly tough. It's probably more than I can imagine. There's probably some days it's all you can do to get out of bed. And I also understand how frustrating it is, especially when the suffering that you're going through just doesn't make sense. 
It doesn't add up. You have more questions than you do answers. And the question why just screams through your heads. Trust me, I understand that. And you know what? I think the Apostle Paul understands that. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. I love that Paul even says that. He says, we are perplexed. He doesn't have a clue what God is doing here. He doesn't get the big picture. It doesn't make sense to him. He's got more questions probably than he does answers. He's perplexed. The apostle Paul was perplexed, but he wasn't in despair. And that's a big difference. He was never in despair. And why? Because he knew God was for him. And no matter what, as long as God is for him, he knew that whatever suffering he went through, whether he understood it or not, God was doing some pretty incredible things through it. And so I understand you may be a bit perplexed this morning as to why you're going through what you're going through. But know this. Cling to this. God is for you. And this suffering will produce perseverance. And perseverance will produce character in your life. And trust me, God wants men and women of character. Can I say something to you this morning? I know this may seem a little weird, but I want to say it, and and I want you to pay attention to this. God is not so much interested in what you accomplish in your life as He is the person you become. Because He's preparing you for eternity. You see, people will go through suffering and they'll start to logically look at their lives and they'll say, God, I mean, seriously, if I weren't in this suffering in my life, I could do so much more for you in your kingdom. If I was married, I could do so much more for you. If I had a different wife, I could do so much more for you. If I had a different husband, I could do so much more for you. If I had a job, I could give so much more to you. If my spouse knew the Lord, if I were healthy, I could do so much more for you. Do you see what I'm saying? We think that if this suffering were absent from our lives, we could be doing so much more for God and His kingdom. And so it just doesn't make sense to us as to why God would allow this suffering in our lives. Well, as I said, God isn't so much interested in what we accomplish in our life as He is the person we become. Because He's preparing us for eternity. And He wants men and women of character to rule with Him for eternity. And suffering is many times the only classroom for character. Suffering most often is the only place where character can be developed. So God lets us suffer. He is not against us. He's not trying to punish us. He's not mad at us. He's trying to perfect us for eternity. He's trying to produce men and women who experience peace in the midst of trials, joy in the midst of suffering, calm in the midst of chaos. And he's wanting men and women who live like Jesus no matter what the circumstance. And guys, here's the beauty of it. The more and more this suffering works out character, the character of Jesus in our life, the more hope you will start to experience in your life. Hope will start to emanate and grow more and more within you. 
Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Character produces hope. Now you might be wondering, well, how does that work? Well, let me explain. As you, by faith, enter into this relationship with God, and understand now that He is for you, He's not against you, You're going to see that suffering isn't God beating up on you. It's something in your life where God, who is for you, is going to do something awesome in you. And when he starts to do that, when he takes something horrible and transforms that something horrible into something beautiful in your life, you start to sit back and go, holy smokes, that is awesome. God did that. I can't believe he did that. I didn't even think I was going to survive through this whole experience. But not only did I survive, I came out with such a character transformation that all I can do is sit back and rejoice and thank God for it. And be overwhelmed with hope that God is going to continue to do that more and more in my life. And little bit by little bit, hope will take over your life. You know what I've come to realize? The more character a person has, the more hope that person has. Think about that for a second. If you notice, a person with poor character is also a person with very little hope. You want to know why? Because they haven't allowed the work of suffering in their life. They fought it and resisted it and ran from it. And if you do that, you'll live a hopeless life. Because character produces hope. And the more character change you experience, the more hope rises up within you. But if you haven't experienced much character development, you'll experience a pretty hopeless life. Now I say that because there's an order to these things we've talked about today. And I want to just briefly run through the order so that you get this. Number one, you have to understand that God is for you. He's not against you. You have to start on that foundation. Number two, knowing that allows you to see suffering in a different light. And you will understand that suffering produces perseverance. And number three, if perseverance is given room to work, it will produce character transformation in our lives. And guys, listen to me. Every bit of character transformation will produce more and more and more and more hope in your life. Second service, here's the deal. Hope does not disappoint. And hope does not disappoint us. And before we talk about that, I just want to stop and make mention of something real quick that we can be aware of this morning. I don't like the translation of the words disappoint us. See where it says that? And hope does not disappoint us. I don't think that's the proper rendering of the Greek word because the Greek word gives off something while appearing similar, in my opinion, is vastly different. The Greek word for disappoint there is katashuno. It's kind of a sweet word, katashuno, you know. It's better than disappoint. But it means in this, in the Greek, it means to shame down or to disgrace or to put to the blush. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't mean disappoint to me. To me, this definition looks like it would better read something like this. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not embarrass us. How many of you have the English Standard Version Bible? Anybody? Okay, if you read your your version, it will have that. It'll actually say, and hope does not put us to shame. 
And when you read verse 5 like that, it, it makes this verse come alive in my opinion because here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, Whitestone, you've been justified through faith. You now have peace with God. He is for you. Through Jesus, you've been given access to all God's grace, and it is just lavished down on you. I mean, isn't that awesome? You should rejoice about that. Not only so, you can also rejoice in your sufferings because sufferings will produce perseverance in your life, and perseverance will produce the beautiful outcome of character in your life. And the more and more character you see being grown in your life, the more hope you will have in God's grace working in you. And here's what you need to understand. This hope in God and His glory and grace will never put you to shame. It will never embarrass you. You will never be put to blush because of putting your hope in God and His glorious grace. That's what Paul is saying. I want to tell a couple stories to you. When I grew up in Colombia, Colombia, the sport there was soccer. And everybody loved soccer. I mean, they lived and breathed soccer. Soccer was everything. And uh, when I lived down there, we had a really good soccer team. And um, that, while I was down there, they actually made it to the World Cup. It was a huge deal. And our, the country of Colombia was just on fire. I mean, it was all over cereal boxes. There were banners everywhere. People had painted it on their walls of their houses. I mean, it, was, it made Packer fans look like little pansies. They were just... So excited about this that the Columbia was in the World Cup. Well, if you remember, Columbia lost. And when they lost, this is really horrible, but hundreds of people committed suicide. They jumped off buildings. They shot themselves. They stood in front of cars and buses, and they, they gave up their life. And you want to know why? Because they put their hope in an outcome. In an outcome. And that outcome put them to shame. That outcome embarrassed them. And their hopes were crushed and shattered because they put it in an outcome. Once knew a guy who was, he was getting older in, in his life and he desperately wanted to get married. He wanted to get married so bad. And he found this woman who had been, I think she'd been married a couple times. She had kids and he fell in love with her and and he proposed to her, and she said yes, and he was so excited to finally be married, to have a, a woman he could give his life to, and he was just, you know, he was hoping so much for this, he was longing so much for us, and about a month before the wedding, um, she called him over to his house, and she sat him down, and she took her ring off, she handed it to him, she says, this is for you to keep, um, I do not want to marry you, um, I do not want you to come to my house anymore, I do not want to see you, I do not want you to call me, and I want you out of my life. I'm not going to marry you. And when he asked why, what's the case, what, what's going on, she refused to give him an answer. And guys, his life went just tanked. Just tanked. For months and months, he was the lowest of low. And you want to know why? Because he put his hope in a person. And when you put your hope in your person, they're going to let you down. And they're going to fall. And they're going to embarrass you. And they're going to put you to shame. And that's what happened to this guy. And guys, these are stories of people who placed their hope in something or someone. And their hope was shattered. Their hopes were knocked to the ground. And they were put to shame. And you know what? These stories are not unique. We could all plug our names into stories similar to these. 
We've all made the mistake of placing our hope in the wrong thing, especially when we're facing suffering in our lives. Rather than trust God and His grace and persevere through the suffering and allow character to grow in our lives, we take our eyes off of God and we place our hope in circumstances and outcomes and we think that if this happens, everything's going to be perfect. If this occurs, my life is going to be great. I'm finally going to be happy. I'm finally going to get what I've always wanted. When I get that job, I'm going to be flying high. When my boss gives me that raise, I know he's going to give me. Life is going to be a lot different. If the Packers win the Super Bowl, life is going to be sweet. When I finally get pregnant, everything's going to be great. And on and on it goes. But what happens if this outcome or circumstance doesn't pan out? And they don't come to fruition. Our hearts are sick and our spirits are crushed and we're laying on the ground like these stools. We can also place our hope in people. I'm going to marry this guy and, and I'm going to see my problems are going to be over and he's just the best guy in the world. He's so perfect and he's so handsome and he's so muscular and he, he's so athletic and he's going to be a great husband. He's going to be a great father and he's going to love me forever and ever and ever. But what happens when he doesn't? What happens when you get married and he gets fat and he grows bald and he stops showing you attention? What happens when you find him looking at porn or looking at another woman in a way that disgusts you and leaves you feeling betrayed? What happens if this man that you've placed all your hope in betrays you? Here's what happens. You will be crushed and you'll be laying on the ground like these stools. You will sink into despair, and if you're not careful, the enemy will destroy you. And how does this happen? Because we place our hope in the wrong thing. Whitestone, listen to me. The only safe place to put our hope is in God and in His grace. Circumstances and outcomes are going to leave us high and dry. People are going to let us down and fail us. And if our hope is placed in them, we will be crushed. But let me tell you, hope that is placed in God and His grace will never, never, never fail us. It will never put us to shame. Amen? Now I know many of us, if not all of us, are in a storm right now. And the tendency is to run from it, to get out of it. We hate it, and we want out now. Whitestone, if I could just say this to all of us right now, don't fear your storm. Don't fear your suffering. Rejoice in it. Glory in it. Boast in it. Remember, God is for you. And this is a classroom that is able to produce a, a life of character and a life of hope. I mean it. It's something we can cling to, Whitestone. Here's the deal. Here's what we really need to see this morning, and I want you to let this soak in. Rather than just want an easy life, we should want a meaningful life. Amen? And this is something I've had to come to grips with it with my own life. Rather than just, than just wanting a life that's easy and no problem and it's just a big cakewalk, we should want a meaningful life. A life that will produce character and godliness. And that's only going to come through suffering. It will only come through the storms that we face. 
So don't fear it. Don't hate it. Don't run from it. Rejoice in it. Because God is for us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this passage and I thank You for these truths. God, I know that so many of us in this room who are in a storm right now, who are facing trials and tribulations, in our hearts and minds, we think You're against us. We have bought into the lie that You're mad at us or You're just trying to punish us. And so God, I want to pray right now that You would minister to the hearts in this room that believe that. And that you would speak truth to that. And you would just speak the words they need to hear. And may they hear it right now. And God, I pray that in our midst here, this Whitestone family, you would raise up men and women who are men and women of character and full of hope. And may we allow you to do the work in us that only you can do through your grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, guys, what I've realized is that in our storms, man, we need each other. We need each other. Remember in the first sermon, I told you guys this, the first sermon of the series, that in the middle of the summer, early August, I was hitting the low, and I was angry at God, and I was ticked off, and I thought he was against me, and he's just being mean, and he's just a jerk. And I wanted to quit, and I wanted to give up. You know, it was in that crazy dark time that I dumped it on my wife. And my wife, you know, bless her heart, she was able to point me in the right direction. She said, Luke, I know you're hurting, and I know you want to give up, and I know this is hard, but don't you for a second think that God isn't good. Don't you for a second think that God isn't for you, because he is. And he loves us. And guys, we need to do that for each other. Because the enemy wants to come in and wipe us out. And we need to stand strong with each other and wrap arms with each other and come alongside those who are suffering and say, don't give up. You persevere. God is for you. He's not against you. You persevere. And you let his grace work out character in your life because that's what's going to bring you hope. We need each other. And so let's be there for each other. Amen? Amen. Guys, I love you so much. I am so thankful to God for you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.